Tuesday Night Mystery Club. Hello and welcome back to the Tuesday Night Mystery Club, a show where I tell guests a mystery story and they try and guess the solution. I am your host, Caitlin McCluskey, and it's Halloween this week. So I will be releasing uh, a vintage episode, last year's Halloween special, with Nikki Crawford, where we discussed the Agatha Christie story, Halloween Party. So if you haven't listened to it already, you're a newer listener, then please enjoy this this, uh, great Halloween story that takes place at a children's Halloween party. And if you listened last year, well, maybe it's been long enough and you've forgotten, and this time around you'll do a little bit better at guessing. So I hope you enjoy that. I also wanted to point out, maybe you've already noticed that I've been a little MIA over the last month or so with releasing podcasts. I have been taking a little bit of a break because I've been releasing these podcast episodes for I think a year and a half now or thereabouts, and I'm getting a little tired (laughs) with this second job that I've taken on for myself. So I'm not ready to stop this, this hobby that I love doing so much that I love, I love sharing mystery stories with other people. Um, However, I'm now going to focus on just reading and telling stories that I'm really interested in. So I have a couple of projects underway right now that I'm looking forward to releasing, but I'm also not setting myself a hard deadline of any specific time because I want to continue to enjoy myself instead of this becoming um, something that's forced. So stay tuned for that. If you're following along in your favorite podcast app, I'm sure you'll get the notification when they come out. But just be forewarned that uh, it's it's not going to be every week, two weeks, maybe even every month. I'm not sure. I'm we'll we'll see what happens, and uh, you'll you'll hear about it as soon as I do know as well. <laughs> so without further ado, I hope you enjoy Halloween Party by Agatha Christie. Hello and welcome to the Tuesday Night Mystery Club. I'm your host, Caitlin McCluskey, and today I'm joined by a returnee guest, Nikki Crawford. Hello, Nikki. Hello. I'm here to redeem myself. Wanted another <laughs> crack at it. Woo! So last time I introduced you as uh, being an Animal Crossing fanatic. So that was months ago. How's that going? I. It's funny you say that. I was just playing like minutes before we <laughs> got on the call together. Right, so okay. they still got me. <laughs> I heard someone was someone talking about how at the beginning of the pandemic everyone played Animal Crossing, and now we're at the point where everyone's playing Among Us. Right, right. And they have two very different games because the one is about killing people and the other is not. <laughs> the other is a peaceful animal island. <laughs> yeah, pretty different. Yeah, so I'm glad I, you're still playing. Yeah, I have not gotten into Among Us. I'm still very much in a deep <laughs> hole of Animal Crossing. <laughs> <laughs> not bad. So we are nearing Halloween, which is, I guess, too bad that there won't be trick-or-treating. Um, I don't know if that affects us too much. No, not really. It is too bad. You're, you're so you're still going to dress up. You're working in a school. Yes, I officially got the eight, like the approval, the thumbs up today that we can nice. dress up on Friday, and I was like, I'm so pumped. I think I'm more excited <laughs> than some of the kids there, but you know that's fine. <laughs> so that yeah, it is. There's like the little things to look forward to. So dressing up uh candy <laughs> so much candy yes uh, I've already been eating a lot of Halloween candy loving it mm-hmm. 
Same here. I told myself I wasn't going to buy those, like, you know, boxes of 50 mini chocolate bars. <laughs> and then it was on sale and I could never help myself. <laughs> They're so good. You could just grab a handful of them. <laughs> I know. Uh, yeah. So I'm trying to make them last until Halloween is the deal. That's good. That's Can't optimistic. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. I, I've <laughs> hidden, I, I put a bunch of them in a container and hid it so that I can only see some of them <laughs> the rest are like you know, in the dark <laughs> good thinking we'll see what happens so i bring that up because well one it is almost halloween but we are lucky enough to be blessed by agatha christie with the book halloween party Ooh. Written in yeah 1969 so it was i guess one of her um one of the last book books she wrote and it's centered around the you know small town in england where they're having a kids halloween party Okay. So should we get into it? Yes. Okay. Okay. So we start out with our one of our main characters, Mrs. Ariadne Oliver. So she, she has appeared in several stories. I've done a few podcasts with her. And so her personality is like, you know, um, she's, a, she's also a mystery detective fiction author. So kind of like Agatha Christie was like modeling herself, like had a character that like, you know, was like uh, her. Very meta. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yeah, exactly. And so she's, she's known to be, um, you know, has a lot of women's intuition. She's maybe a little, not forgetful, but maybe spacey. I don't know. She's not, she's sometimes in her own world because she's thinking of like these stories to write about. Gotcha. So she has been invited by a friend of hers whose name is Judith Butler down to um, Judith's hometown because their town is having like a Halloween party as the title suggests. And so she's there to just celebrate and visit her friend. Nice. And so the, the, the party is being held at a Mrs. Drake's house and she doesn't have kids herself, but she's one of those like women who is so involved in everything. Like she's a part of all the church groups. She does like women's organizations. She does Sunday school, uh, any any organization she's a part of it so when you know there's kids halloween party she's there she's down she's organizing it gotcha <laughs> so mrs oliver is um trying to make herself useful at the party set up but is not doing a great job she ends up just sitting down and eating apples which is her like staple thing to do she's always seen with a with a bag of apples in her hand that's such a niche okay okay <laughs> i know it's it's funny but it's like totally that's one of her I don't know, character tropes that's been written in is she eats apples. <laughs> that's amazing. Okay. <laughs> and, oh, so the reason the apples are there is they're setting up the bobbing for apples station. So there's, Classic. you know, each okay. room. Yeah. And there's like a total fall theme. And so she's sat down and I think people are kind of asking her about her books because she is pretty famous for her, her mystery books. And they're asking if, I think some of the kids are bringing up how some of the murders in her book are pretty gruesome, like lots of like blood and things like that. And I don't know, there's like, the kids are kind of interested because of that, you know, attraction to horror, I guess. Right. Feels taboo, maybe. Yeah, yeah. And so there's this one kid, Joyce, who's about 13. And she says she's seen a murder. And then of course, all the other kids make fun of her and tell her like, she's lying, she's fibbing. And they make, you know, they don't believe her. Yeah, because... Yeah, that's terrifying. (laughs) It's kind of like, you know, it feels like she's trying to show off to Mrs. Oliver. I would hope that's not true. Yeah. 
<laughs> so she says that they're kind of going, why didn't you say anything? Like what murder? Like there, murder hasn't happened here. Like you have to be, you, of course you're lying. And she says that she hadn't, it was like many years ago and she hadn't realized that it was a murder at the time, but a couple months ago, something had happened that triggered in her brain and made her realize that it was murder. She, she knew it was. Wow. Repressed murder. Intriguing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, oh, I should say before I get started, I haven't, didn't, I forgot to do my tea recommendation. Oh. <laughs> before we get too far in. So I'm drinking the Queen West blend that I got from our local tea store, Tealish. And I picked it because it's, it's got like orange peel and blackberry. It's very fruity. And I was thinking about Miss Oliver's like love of apples. And I don't have apple tea or anything like that. But, you know, it's like kind of fall themed. No, very fitting. Very nice. For the for the listeners at home, if you want to go can make some fruity tea, apple tea, something like that. <sighs> <laughs> okay, back into the story. So that was the pre like setup of the party. Right. And so Mrs. Oliver goes back to her friend Judith's house where she's staying and they're kind of having a chat. And Judith is kind of sad that her daughter Meredith has a fever and so won't be able to go to the party tonight. And she's like, you know, obviously upset because her daughter would have really liked it. Yeah. Um, and then they get to the party and we kind of go through like the list. I thought it'd be fun to talk about some of the activities they do because I'm sure some of them you'll have never heard of and some of them make sense like bobbing for apples. I'm ready. I'm so ready for it. <laughs> So first they do broomstick decorating. So that's pretty straightforward. Like it's like mini broomstick sticks that you decorate and then they like judge who decorated it the best. Okay. Weird, but you know, okay. Yeah. Okay. The next one is the cutting the flower cake, which to my understanding is like you pack a container full of flour and then flip it, like stand it over and take the container off. So it looks like you know, a shape, like a cake. Oh, yes. And then you, you put a coin on top of it and you have to try and cut pieces out of the flower cake without letting the coin fall off. And the last person standing wins the coin or something like that. If you wow. don't let it fall. That's that's a raging party <laughs> game. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> they know how to party. I should I should also say this is this is like an eleven plus party is how they've described it. So it's like for kind of like, you know, middle school to high schoolers. Yeah, fair, fair. The, the kids who really like to cut flower, you know. Yeah, that's the prime cut and flower <laughs> age. <laughs> so then they have bobbing for apples, classic, some dancing, another classic. And then this one, this one's fun. So the girls go off into an, like their own room. I don't know what the boys do, but the girls have, they get like hand mirrors. And the idea is that they... Like they get, almost get their fortune told and then they look in the mirror and they're supposed to see over their shoulder the their husband. That's terrifying. What? <laughs> like you like an apparition of who their husband's gonna be. <laughs> what witchcraft is this? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it's supposed to be like you know, you know, fun. And we'll get into more of how they actually did it later, but that's a game. And then they have dinner and then there's this like it's not a game, but it's like an event called the Snapdragon where you lie out a bunch of like raisins on a plate and then pour brandy over it and then light it on fire. And then the kids have to try and grab the raisins that are burning. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Who, who invented that one? That does not sound safe. Oh my gosh. But I can imagine it would be really fun. <laughs> are we going to attempt this on Halloween ourselves? 
No. The new new go-to party trick? Well, I wouldn't mind trying it just to see what it looks like, but I don't think I want brandy-soaked raisins that have been burnt, if I'm being honest. (laughs) Yeah, what what a combination of flavors that is. Yeah. So there you go. And party all goes well. You know, at first everyone's a little hesitant, like the kids, and then when they get into it, everyone gets, like, you know, very excited. But the next day, Mrs. Oliver calls up her friend, Hercule Poirot, who we know as our famous detective, Belgian detective with the mustaches. Of course, of course. And so you know about him because he was the detective in the last book we did together a couple months ago. Correct, yes. So she calls him up and she's in like hysterics. She's so upset. She's she's freaking out. And she asks him, can I come over to see you? To which he, of course, replies yes. And when she gets there, she's still in hysterics. He's trying to like calm her down and get her to talk about what's gone on. And she says that the party had all gone well. She tells him about this Halloween party. Obviously, he had no idea. But afterwards, they couldn't find Joyce. Couldn't find her anywhere. Her parents came to pick her up and she wasn't there. And after a while, they did find her. She had been drowned in the bobbing for Apple's pail. (gasps) The murder victim is a 13-year-old? Wow. I know. Dark. So Mrs. Oliver is like, I'll never, like, I hate water. I don't want to drink water. I don't want to be around water. And I hate apples. I'm never, I'm never touching an apple again. So it's like her staple, gone. Wow. Character development. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So... Mrs. Oliver is kind of explaining all of these events. And then she says the reason she had felt she had to contact Poro because he doesn't look into like all murders. The, I think the idea around town is that it was just some kind of like crazy person who had broken into the house, seen there was a party and like just, you know, done this without any reason. Wait, so people think that she was murdered. They don't think it's like a freak accident that she drowned while bobbing for apples. Like they think she was murdered. Uh, yeah, it seems like it. Wow, okay. I don't know. There must be a reason they came to that conclusion. I don't know. I think it was, you know, there was no one in the room. Like, she had been seen after the game of Bobbing for Apples. So she would have had to gone back in there separately without anyone around. Which is, I guess, possible. But no, it's, it's, no one's looking at it as a, an An accident. accident. Okay. So, Mrs. Oliver, the reason she's contacted Paro is that thing that Joyce had said earlier in the night when she had said, I, I've seen a murder, or I guess earlier in the day, has really bothered her. So she tells Poro about that and how Mrs. Oliver says how she hadn't believed the girl then because it just seems like a girl like that likes to boast, like it's, you know, make stuff up. Right. But now that she's dead, she's kind of starting to think, could it be coincidence or not? Makes sense. Mm-hmm. And uh, as we know, this is a book, so, you know, it can't be coincidence. Of course not. No coincidences. <laughs> Mm-mm. So the, this is it. This has all happened in the town of Woodley Common. And surprise, surprise, one of Hercule Poirot's good friends from the police force or from Scotland Yard, ex-superintendent Spence, lives in Woodley Common. How, how Perfect. Love when that happens. <laughs> So, so this guy had been in the police force and had retired since retired maybe a few years ago, but he was very high up and very um, well respected. So Poirot kind of goes to him to talk to him first and goes, I know you're not in the police force, but I'm also sure you probably still hear things. And because you live in this town, you probably know about the character of the people. So I want to ask you some questions. Yeah, it's definitely a good resource to take advantage of. Exactly. Yeah. 
And I think he tells, he, he tells Poirot, like, ah, you know, I haven't been here as long as my sister, who I live with, her name is Elspeth, and she's, she's a real good judge of character. So why don't you come back for dinner, for tea, and we'll all three of us talk about it. And I'll, I'll find some things out for you. Perfect. Yeah. So then Poirot meets Mrs. Oliver at the scene of the crime. It's a house fittingly called Apple Trees. And so this is in the time where, like, you know, you wouldn't have a house number. You'd have a, your house would have a name. Oh, fancy. Yeah. I guess it's a small town thing, probably. So the the owner of the house is Mrs. Drake, who we've mentioned before. And she shows them into the library where this has happened, where the pail, it had been like a, I think a plastic pail? No, I don't know. What It doesn't matter. It had been a pail set up on the ground for bobbing for apples. Obviously, none of it's there anymore. And Poirot kind of asks her what she had thought of the child, Joyce. And he's he, what he's mostly trying to get from her is like, did you believe that she had actually seen a murder? Like, did you? And I think she said, yes, I was in the room when she said that. Or, or she had heard about it after the fact, one or the other. But she says, no, I, frankly, she was known to be a liar and I didn't believe her. How can, okay, well, uh, she's saying a 13-year-old was, quote unquote, known to be a liar? It was, we'll get into it more, but it was okay. kind of just one of those things where it's a small town, talk gets around. Joyce would often take other people's stories and tell them as her own. Ah, uh, Okay. Not even it was it was it wasn't I guess often it was like or maybe she something would happen to her and then she'd just like exaggerate you know embellish okay okay yeah yeah so there was this specific story where I think her aunt had been to India or something of the kind and Joyce had said that she had been to India and told all her friends at school um, but the story just kept getting grander and grander and more and more tigers and more and more elephants than the last time she had told it like that kind gotcha. of thing. okay. Poirot also asks her, asks Mrs. Drake if she can remember any murders that had happened in town. Like, what could Joyce have, if Joyce was telling the truth, what, like, what could she have been talking about? Uh, and Miss Drake tries to, like, cast her mind back and she says maybe there was a girl murdered in an old gravel pit, but that was, I think, like, it might have been before Joyce's time. Like, it wasn't a couple years ago. It was, it was, it was a while ago. For a small town, a lot of girls being murdered. Okay. This was, yeah, I guess girls maybe not very descriptive. This might have been like a, a like a young woman, okay, like twenty something. Gotcha. Like early twenties. Still, still, but yeah, it's not a great track record, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they, Poirot and Mrs. Oliver, leave. They leave Mrs. Drake, and as they go, Poirot asks Mrs. Oliver if she likes her, like if she likes the woman, Mrs. Drake, and Mrs. Oliver kind of says. Not really. She's she's kind of like a bossy woman, and that's not my type. Like I don't like being bossed around, so I I don't I don't kind of you know mesh with her. Right. Next, they go to interview the mother of the girl who had died, and so her name's Mrs. Reynolds, and obviously she's super distraught. Like her daughter's just just been murdered, so she's she's very 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 upset, of course. And she does not think it's possible that Joyce had seen a murder, even an accident, because they're kind of going now, if she embellishes, could she have seen like someone get hit by a car? And then okay. or or something of that kind that had happened. And Joyce's mom is like confidently saying, if she had seen something, I really think she would have told me. And Mrs. Oliver and Poirot afterwards are kind of like, Would she have? Do girls of that age tell their mothers everything? I don't know. Right. But they uh, don't say anything to her. 
And then they interview the siblings. So Joyce had been the middle child, her younger brother, Leopold, and older sister, Anne. Both of them said that, of course, they didn't believe her when they had both been at the prep for the party and heard her Joy saying this. And she, they think that she was just showing off for, for Mrs. Oliver. Like, that's kind of what they say to her is like, she just wanted to impress you. Okay. I think Leopold says she wanted to impress you, and Anne says she was always, always a liar. So that's their opinions. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Strong. How are you feeling about all of this? My first instinct and inclination is that Mrs. Drake sticks out in this story because mm-hmm. she's the host. It's her house. She's very involved, but without any kids herself. She mm-hmm. seems kind of like the person that's sticking out so far. To me. Mm. I have okay. no real reason to think that. It's just that, like, she's kind of in this story, I don't know, out of nowhere. Okay. So you're keeping your eye on her. Yes. Okay. All right. So next, Poirot goes to, di- now he's back at Superintendent Spence and his sister's house. He's gone there for dinner. And she is pretty good about, like, knowing characters of people. So she calls Joyce a proper little liar. Wow. Okay. (laughs) And she, it's her opinion that she, they're kind of saying it's still possible she didn't make it up, but if, even if it was kind of like based in truth, they think she exaggerated something or other. So everyone's pretty decided that Joyce has has lied. Like, I don't think anyone has said she, it's could have been true. Like, yeah, not really. (laughs) Gotcha. Spence then also gives a list of people who have died in the last few years. That's what Poirot had wanted to know. He's kind of going, if Joyce did see a murder, what could she have been talking about? So there was, so he, well, I'll go through the list. So the first person was a Mrs. Lulin, a Mrs. Lulin Smith. And they, they're kind of thinking with her, she had died, not suddenly. She had been like known to have heart troubles. Her doctors had like constantly been telling her to like not overexert herself because her heart was going to give out. Right. And, but they think it could have been, she had had an au pair girl, which at the time was, was, you would, I feel like you might associate au pair with right now with like going to another country to take care of kids. Right. Where I think it was still that the case at this time period, but it was also like, Au pair girls would go to a different country to take care of like older, older people. Gotcha. Okay. So that's, that's what was the case for this. Mrs. Luland Smith had hired this au pair girl to kind of help her out. And she had disappeared shortly after Mrs. Luland Smith had died. And they, they think possibly because the au pair girl had been left all of the money in the, in Miss Luland Smith's will but it was it came about shortly afterwards that the will they the the like lawyers or police thought the will had been forged and the au pair girl had been known miss luland smith was like big on getting her so she had she had she had she'd been like a super rich woman she'd love to travel she had recently moved into town to be near her her nephew was mr drake and mrs drake oh. she'd lived to be near them and but her health was failing, so she had like arthritis and rheumatism, and so the au pair girl would write like handwrite her letters for her because that's what she wanted, and would often sign the signature for her. Gotcha. So when the will will when this codicil of a will came out, leaving everything to the au pair girl and nothing to the Drakes, it was 
I think there were there was starting like court proceedings about it when the girl had disappeared. Wow, scandalous. Okay. Yeah. So that had come about. So there's kind of like the hint that not not saying Miss Leland Smith was murdered, but it's like she had died in the last couple of years. And suspicious circumstances definitely after her yeah. death. Okay. Yeah. So next there was a girl called Charlotte Benfield. She was a 16-year-old girl who had been found on a footpath between a couple, two of the towns with um, several head injuries. And there were two young men suspected in, in the case, but nothing had ever been proven. Mm. Then there was a man or a young man named Leslie Ferrier. And he had been a lawyer's clerk one town over. Actually, it's the same lawyers as Miss Mrs. Lulin Smith's. And he had been stabbed in the back. And there had been this whole kind of history of he had been known to be maybe like a womanizer. Like he, he went out with lots of people. And he had started going steady with the owner of the pub's wife. Oh, God. So no one will say it, but it's kind of hinted at that everyone thought that it was probably... I guess there were two theories. He had started seeing another girl while also seeing the wife. And so either the wife got, not his wife, but the wife he had been cheating on. Right. Not cheating with. I don't know. Yeah. Either the wife got jealous or the husband found out and came after him. But nothing could ever be proven. There was no witnesses, no evidence. Right. So that's Leslie Ferrier. He was also just a, like a, they call him like a general wrongin, which just (laughs) meant that he like was known i think he had he had been implicated with like forgery in the past and there was uh, uh he had been like caught for it and these i think the, the this lawyer knew knew his mother and so I was like doing her a favor by hiring him but it was they kind of suspected he could have been involved with gangs and he had had a lot of money in cash in his account suspicious mhm and finally, there was a woman, young woman named Janet White. She was a school teacher at the local school, and she had been found strangled on a footpath, again, like leading from the school to town. Another footpath. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I guess that's more common. I don't know. I don't know. I've never lived in small town England. Yeah, Jesus. So there are our possible murdered victims. So then, Inspector Super or Spence, whatever the the friend Spence gives Poirot a list of all the people who were present during the preparation for the Halloween party, because they're kind of going under the assumption right now that let's say Joyce had seen a murder, only the people at the preparation for the party would have heard her say that, and so though right. that's like shortens the list. It's not just who was at the party; it was who was preparing for the party. And who heard her make this claim, right? Exactly. Who, who could have been in the house, right? So that list is Mrs. Drake, the owner of the house, Mrs. Butler, and Mrs. Oliver. So Mrs. Oliver and her friend, Judith Butler. Then you have Miss Whitaker. She was a school teacher. I, you know what, for people listening, I will post a picture of this on my Instagram, which is Tuesday Night Mystery Club on Instagram, so you don't have to copy this down. Sorry, Nikki. No, it's okay. Then we have Reverend Charles Cotterell. So he's the vicar. We have Simon Lampton. He's the curate, which I think is for the the church, but I don't really know. 
Okay. Then we have Miss Lee, who was Dr. Ferguson's dispenser, so he's the doctor in town. Then we have the three Reynolds children, so Anne Reynolds, Joyce Reynolds, the girl who's murdered, and her younger brother, Leopold Reynolds. There were the um, two older boys helping to set up. They're doing a lot of, I think, ladder, going up ladder work. So we have Nicholas Ransom and Desmond Holland. Wow, what names? <laughs> so we have um, a couple of girls, like... Um, girls who would have been attending the party later so we have beatrice ardley kathy grant and diana brent uh we have mrs garlton who's a household helper mrs minden who was the cleaning woman and mrs goodbody who was just a helper Jeez. okay so you're gonna a long list definitely not all of these people are gonna come up in the story um right. i guess i could have cut out the names myself but I'm, i'll leave it up to you <laughs> It's all good. Okay, back to the story. So they, the Spence's sister and Poirot have dinner, and afterwards Poirot goes to see the doctor. And he kind of just seems like a jerk. Like, he doesn't, like, I don't know, like he, he's kind of, like, mocking Poirot a little bit, like, speaking down to him. Mm. It basically doesn't believe Poirot. It's kind of like, it's more likely than not, it's just some person who's passing by who's like off their head and walked into the house and did it. I don't, I don't believe there's anything else in it, is his opinion. That's blowing my mind because that's still terrifying and like that person is still on the loose. We should talk yeah. about it. Yeah. I, yeah, no, totally agree. It's very weird. Next, I think the next morning, Poirot starts his day by going to see Miss Emlyn, who is the headmistress at the local school. And she says that Joyce was a compulsive liar. And that it's her opinion that she might have seen like a car crash and embellished, but she doesn't think she's seen a murder. Okay. So Poirot has a pretty high respect for Miss Emily and they have like this conversation where they both kind of like talk about how they're on the same page about, and it's all about finding the truth, like that kind of, that kind of right. um, thing. He then, he kind of shifts to, he's, so he's not only talking about Joyce's death, he's trying to find what, again, based on that she was telling the truth, what other murder could she have seen? And so she asks Miss Emlyn about that teacher, Jan Janet White, who had been right. found dead years earlier and I think Miss Emlyn kind of like she thinks about it and says you know what I think you should talk to Miss Whitaker who was the teacher who had been at the preparation for the party yeah and I think also taught maybe some of these might have taught Joyce or might have taught some of these girls so she says that during the snapdragon event where like you know the raisin brandy lit on fire right, yes. craziness yes <laughs> That she had, it had gotten pretty hot, so she had gone out into the hall for fresh air, and she had seen Mrs. Drake coming down the stairs, holding, like, she had, like, a big vase of flowers that she was moving, and she had seemed to be looking at the library door across, like, down the stairs, across the hall, and something had seemed to, like, give her a, like, a, not a fright, but, like, a start, and she had kind of, like, jolted and tripped a little and dropped, like, the vase. Hmm. Okay. So it had fallen down the stairs, and so they had, you know, swept it up. And I think Poirot, like, asks her opinion, and they both agree they don't think that Mrs. Drake seems like the person to be startled easily. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
then Poirot goes to visit Quarry House. So Quarry, Quarry House was the house that Mrs. Lulin Smith had bought when she had moved to, to the village years ago. Okay. And she had commissioned, it's called Quarry House because the property contained a quarry, like a rock quarry. Gotcha. And I think she had bought it with the intention. And then what she ended up doing was she had hired a landscaper, a gardener, kind of like architect planner to redo the quarry as a like sunken in garden. Mm-hmm. So Paro goes to see this. It's called the Quarry Woods. And this, the young landscaper, his name is Michael Garfield and it, who had made this garden. And when Paro first sees it, he's so impressed. He says, it's like just absolutely beautiful it feels like he's kind of describing it as not like your typical garden. Like it's not full of like beautiful flowers. It's just like super well designed in terms of like how the paths flow and like the different, I think it's, it's in part that like, you know, you have different types of shrubs and trees and bushes that will all flower at different times of the year. So it's constantly, you know, like looking beautiful. Um, there's like, you know, benches at the perfect distance with like, like, I don't know, perfect height to sit at like that kind of ridiculousness right really thought well thought out (laughs) yeah exactly so he's actually Poirot's lucky enough that once he's in the garden he he ends up meeting Michael the gardener and he seems a little bit arrogant like he's not not necessarily in a bad way but he is like he he knows that the garden's beautiful and he's he's pleased with the work he's done type thing okay then as, so they, they chat for a bit, and then as Poirot is leaving, he's, he's going up another path out, out to get out of the quarry wood, he comes across a child who ends up being Miranda, Mrs. Judith Butler's daughter. Okay. And she tells him, you're late to tea. Basically, I've come to fetch you. I've come to get you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So she's, she kind of leads him through the paths very easily, like really easily. And so he kind of asks her like, oh, do you come here all the time? And she says, yes, I really love to come and sit in the trees and watch like the birds and squirrels. Cute. Mm-hmm. And so as they're walking back to the house, she tells him that her and Joyce had been great friends and that they had told each other everything. And so I, she's kind of saying like, mother didn't want me to find out about her death, but you know, it's a small town where, where it travels quickly. So I know. Yeah, and also she's like, where's Joyce? Like, you're gonna, yeah. your best friends, you're gonna notice. I know, I don't think the mother, Judith, really had the, I don't know, the foresight to yeah, think about that, to realize better to talk about it. I get, maybe it was like that opinion of like, we don't talk about anything. <laughs> it's really aging dating the book, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they have tea, and after tea, Poirot kind of talks to Mrs. Oliver about his list of people who have died. So they kind of go over go over those people that we talked about. And yeah, they just go over the list. I don't think they say anything we haven't said already. Okay. So how are you feeling now about things? What's on your mind? So I have also been going over the list of people who died and thinking that mm-hmm. who is someone that was killed in such a way that someone would have been able to see, right? Because I'm thinking, Miss mm-hmm. Lulin Smith, this old woman with heart troubles, I'm assuming she didn't, like, die in the street. I'm assuming she died in her home. So I'm thinking yeah, she correct. couldn't have been the one that Joyce saw. Mm. I mean, unless she was, like, breaking into that. Like, unless there's some real situ- <laughs> like circumstances, I, you know. Then the Leslie Ferrier, the lawyer, like, clerk a town over, who was stabbed mm-hmm. in the back. I also think that's not something 
that Joyce would have seen because I mean, it's a town over. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm definitely leaning towards the people who are killed in the footpaths because then at Uh, least there's like a chance that a reason that Joyce would have seen them. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. That's the way I'm leaving. Okay. Sounds good. So Poirot, you know, still got a lot of people to talk to. He's still got that long list of people who are at the pre pre party. It's a very long list. Yeah. And there's, there's more people. It's not even just people on the list that he wants to talk to. Right. So he goes to visit the lawyer in that town over, whose name is Mr. Fullerton. So he had been, you know, acting for Mrs. Leland Smith. And he's also was the employer of the Leslie Ferrier dude. Okay. So he he kind of also thinks he's he's of the opinion that he knows who killed Ferrier. It's kind of the same thing of like local gossip. Everyone kind of has an idea. But there had never been enough evidence to prove it. So he's he's not going to say anything because he's a lawyer. It's all hush hush. Like he's not going to tell you anything unless... It's, there's proof. Of course. No speculation. <laughs> so kind of what you what you were just talking about, like, who could have seen things. Poirot, the, the lawyer tells him, like, supposedly there were no witnesses. But Poirot is like, you know, he goes, huh, I wonder. That's mm. his thought. Okay. And then he asks about the disappearance of the foreign au pair girl and finds out that her name was Olga Semenov. And so... Mr. Fullerton kind of shares the full story. So this this will fill in some of the blanks maybe, but we I think we have most of the information. So Mrs. Leland Smith had died and then this codicil had been found that was written only three weeks earlier, like dated three weeks before her death. And everything had been left to Olga, which was very weird because every previous will, she had left like most of her money to the Drakes and... Uh, with some like I think legacies to like old old housekeepers or servants of hers but this new codicil cut everyone out that is very odd mm-hmm. yes so then they had had like handwriting experts in to look at it and the handwriting experts had said it was definitely a forgery comparing the writing to Mrs. Lillian Smith's writing and there was only like they said there was only a faint resemblance and so the proceedings in court were about to take place to contest the document when Olga had disappeared. Right. So it's kind of just assumed that she had, she had seen the writing on the wall, I guess. So Poirot leaves Mr. Fullerton and then we kind of get his reflection of the case. And so he's thinking back to this, you know, two years, year and a half, however long ago it was, and how Olga had come to visit him because she had wanted to speak to a lawyer and she'd wanted Mr. Fullerton Fullerton to act as her lawyer, which he had kind of told her that he's sorry, but he was already acting for the Drake. So it was like a conflict of interest. But even he found it weird because he, he he was kind of like, if you forge this will, like you deserve it, but he still felt bad for her because she had led this very difficult life coming from Eastern Europe. Her parents were dead and she was, adamant that Mrs. Leland Smith had written the codicil herself and that the gardener and housekeeper had signed it. And then he had warned her that was it was in her best interest to make a clean breast of things, to just come out with the truth. And she kept going, it is the truth. She did write it. And then she had said that she was going to run away, which he and I think told her, they'll find you. Like, if you run away, they're going to find you. Like, not a good idea. And so he was reflecting a couple of years later and going, and they never did find her. Like, she was, she was right. Wow. So, 
That was the lawyer. And then we go back to Apple Tree's house, Mrs. Rowena Drake's house. Right. And so Poirot's like, he's taking this information from the school teacher that he had talked to, the Miss Whitaker. Yeah. And so he's now asking Mrs. Drake to kind of confirm or deny this story. He's he, what he wants to know is not that if she dropped the vase or not. It's like, did you see anything when you were looking towards the library door? Because the library is where Joyce was murdered. Right. So she is firm that she saw nothing, which Poirot says the way it's not what she says. It's the way in which she says it makes him not believe her. And she kind of suggests what if the teacher, Miss Whitaker, had, what if she had seen something earlier, like minutes earlier? And when um, Mrs. Drake had dropped the vase, the two things that kind of like mixed in her mind. And so she was, she had thought that Mrs. Drake saw something. Okay. It's kind of a little confusing there. Much suspicious. Yeah. So they, they talk a little bit longer and she kind of mentions that her, her husband was killed in a hit and run um, just before her aunt had died. And it was one of those, like, you know, all these things seem to happen together. And her, her husband had actually, he had contracted polio maybe three or four years before his death. And so he had, he had been like this super active person, like loved playing sports and the, the pole, like, I guess this was around the time of polio. Like it would have been fresh in people's minds. Right. But yeah, that was too bad. I guess he's, uh, Poirot's kind of asking the fact that this hit and run comes up. It was, it was a stolen car that they had found later and had never, the car hadn't stopped when it, when they had hit Mr. Drake. And so he's kind of going, what if that was a murder? And she's like, no, 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 there's no way. Like, I really don't think so. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, you know, it's talked about a little more civilly or like, <laughs> I don't know, slowly in the book. I'm just giving you the raw facts. <laughs> no, I just, it reflects in my notes then. Cause it's like murder mm. question mark. Nope. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're right. I, I take the condensed notes and then you take the even more condensed notes. <laughs> <laughs> so then Poirot kind of brings the talk around to the au pair girl, Olga. And Mrs. Drake kind of suggests that maybe she had had help from that lawyer clerk with the, with the, with, oh, I think, Ferrier running away maybe? Or whatever? Yeah. Yeah. Leslie Ferrier. Okay. So then Poirot leaves her and he passes, he's on his way to see, you know, his next, his next interview. And he passes through the cemetery and he sees Mr. Drake's tombstone. So he's kind of reflecting on it. And the church gardener kind of comes by and says that they had been a really devoted couple, Mr. and Mrs. Drake. And that he thinks, he, the, the gardener thinks that this town is kind of she's done all she can. She's, you know, she's been a part of all of these councils and that he thinks she's going to go abroad or she's going to go move somewhere else because this town, like it's just brings about sadness for her. Right. Too many memories. Yeah. So part of the, the place he had been going was to interview those two older teen boys, Nick and Desmond, who had helped set up at the party. Mm-hmm. And so I think they're known around town right now is like the police suspects for the murder because it's this idea of it's this it's a you know it's a it's this girl and so they're looking for boys of a similar age slightly older Uh, that's kind of like the mentality of how like what these crimes are that's terrifying okay yeah no exactly 
So they said they hadn't been in the room when uh, Joyce had been talking about seeing a murder, but they thought that it was ESP, which is like extrasensory perception. Or okay. ESP. Gotcha. Yeah, also called a sixth sense. So their their idea is that like she saw her own murder, which is ridiculous. But... I can only imagine like this detective <laughs> hearing like these boys are like, here's our theory. <laughs> and he'd be like, I can't believe I have to write this down. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's a wild theory. Yeah. Yeah. So they're they're kind of I don't think I've heard about I think, I guess word gets around, but maybe it doesn't get around to the teen boys in the town. So they actually <laughs> haven't heard about Joyce saying, saying that she had seen a murder. So he's kind of, this is where, this is where we come back to seeing your husband in the mirror, that game that had been played at the party. Right, right. So these boys were in charge of creating the pictures of the husbands, quote unquote. So they had like a lot of fun with it where they had gotten all this like fake hair, like facial hair and they had dressed up in like like overcoats and things like that and put on like beards or mustaches or sideburns like changed it up and then taken enough pictures of diff- like different people to be the girl's husbands and they had gotcha. made them like a little bit out of focus and I think the idea was like they were like playing with lights and the mirror and stuff and so they just like hold up the picture in front of the door or something and then when the girls looked in the mirror they would see it over their shoulder I gotcha exactly. okay but that was their contribution. Sounds like a fun game, honestly. I think, like, can you imagine when we were, like, 12, going to a sleepover and playing that game? And, like, your parents had, like, set it up really well. They had a wild, what a wild time. I could just imagine all our girlfriends just, like, giggling. Yeah, no, it definitely is, like, the right age for it. Yeah, I'd still do it now, though, I feel like. <laughs> So other than the ESP idea, Poirot asks what what Nick had thought or what Desmond thought. And Nick says that he thinks it's Miss Whitaker, the school teacher. And he brings up this like connection with that girl who had been... Wait. Sorry, I've written down the name here and I'm confused because it's a... I thought I was supposed to say connection with Janet White. But no, it's with Nora Ambrose. I think Nora Ambrose was the roommate of the girl who got murdered. I think they're saying, I think the idea that Nick is bringing up is that Miss Whitaker is the same person as Nora Ambrose, because after the murder of Janet White, Nora Ambrose had like gone away for, they say, a few years, and they think she came back as Miss Whitaker, like changed her identity to a degree. So she was Mrs. White's roommate and then came back with a new identity. Yeah, that's okay. that's that's what Nick is kind of throwing out. He's suspicious of her. Gotcha. So from from those two boys, Poirot goes to see Mrs. Goodbody, who is also a helper at the pre-party. And she is mm-hmm. known as the local witch. AKA the dream. Yes. And so it's a, this kind of time period or like, I guess, just like small town where like, you know, every town has to have its local witch. The idea is like she kind of looks like what a witch would look like. And so I don't think she necessarily believes or can do anything but she she really likes dressing up as the witch for you know I don't know plays or like church events or like the Halloween party like she's she's yeah lean into it yeah I got I love it exactly I think she's really good about making up rhymes with the with the kids names a part of them so to be read out and like you know sounds fun gotcha 
So Chi tells Poirot not to believe anything Joyce said. And Poirot kind of says to her, I'm starting, the, I've heard this so much now that I'm starting to believe it. I'm starting to believe that Joyce, Joyce did make this up. She also, Mrs. Goodbody also tells Poirot that the younger brother, Leopold, always, she thought always had too much pocket money. And she thinks that he blackmails people. Like he finds things out and then he like gets money out of them. <laughs> blackmail. Okay. Like she doesn't say blackmail, but like that's exactly what she's saying. Love it. And then Poirot asks her what she thinks happened to Olga. And I, I'm not exactly sure how much she says, but it, it kind of ends with her going, Ding dong dell, pussy in the well. That's her opinion. Ah, of course. In the well. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, of course. <laughs> it all makes sense now. <laughs> so Mrs. Oliver is waiting around for Poirot. They had scheduled to meet up when a woman approaches her. And it ends up being a woman named Mrs. Lehman, who had been the old housekeeper for Mrs. Lulin Smith before she had died. Okay. And she kind of tells Mrs. Oliver, I need some advice. Um, like, this has really been worrying me ever since Joyce's death. So when Mrs. Lulin Smith was still alive, right before she had died, she had asked Mrs. Lehman and the gardener to sign her codicil. And so Mrs. Lehman, like, the thing that's been worrying her is that she shouldn't have known what the codicil said because Mrs. Lulin Smith covered it with a piece of paper and just got them to, like, sign their names at the bottom. Right. But she had been curious and so she had seen where Mrs. Lewin, Mrs. Lulin Smith had put the codicil and the next day had gone and found it and read it. I love snooping. I love the snooping. Okay. <laughs> so, so Mrs. Oliver is kind of saying all the right things to get her to keep talking. She's like, of course you did. Makes complete sense. Like I, everyone, anyone would do the same. And she, so Miss, Mrs. Lehman said that she hadn't said anything at the time because Olga had run away anyways. And so it didn't matter, but that the will had, the will had left everything to Olga, the one that they had signed. Yes. And so now that Joyce has died, she feels differently because now she's like, if if Olga was the murderer, like if she had like killed Mrs. Lulin Smith, like now I feel like I need to talk about it. And yeah, she thinks that old Joyce might have seen Olga kill Mrs. Lulin Smith. That's her opinion. Okay, that's that's a valid thing, except my only thing is, why would Joyce be in Mrs. Smith's house? Good question. Right? Yeah, unless it was poison and she'd seen it happen. I don't know. No, exactly. Okay. I don't know what yeah. she saw. Okay, okay. So, Poirot arrives back and him and Mrs. Oliver sit down to talk about the facts. And Poirot thinks that multiple stories that are going around must fit in together somehow. I agree so, with him. I agree okay. with him. Okay, so I'll I'll finish this this chapter and then we can talk about it. So he says that, and then he also asks if Mrs. Oliver would let Judith and Miranda stay with her in the future. He's kind of like, not sure, but just like, you uh, you have a flat in London. Could you invite them down later, just in case? And then um, after all this kind of like, you know, Poirot talking, Mrs. Oliver is finally like, all right, well, now I've got something to tell you and then she shares all about Mrs. Lehman and she kind of goes, so there you go. The codicil wasn't forged. Like Mrs. Lehman said it was, was real. So what are you thinking? Okay. So <laughs> there's a lot of stories intersecting here, mm -hmm. especially with 
there's the one angle I'm thinking of, like the school teacher, Janet White died mm-hmm. and the set, like, you know, suspicion around Mrs. Whitaker, who was also the teacher, that kind of story. Mm-hmm. But then there's also this whole story about Mrs. Smith and the lawyer and the lawyer being in cahoots with Olga and like maybe Olga was killed, but like who would want to, the, the thing that's confusing me about this narrative is that basically everyone involved would want Olga to be found so that they could go forward with it, getting the will quote unquote, like mm. corrected. Right. Yeah. So who is, who is the motive? No one really has motive in my mind to get rid of her, which is confusing. I see. That's where I'm, I'm okay. all over the place. So we're actually not too far from, not the end, but where like Poirot knows what's going on. Okay. So keep all of that in mind. I'll tell you a couple more facts and then we'll, we'll reconvene and see, see if any of your, you, you, you can see the truth or gotcha. see more of the truth. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Poirot finds this information about the codicil interesting, but he disagrees that it wasn't forged. He thinks at least one codicil was forged because the lawyers had said so. Like they had had these handwriting experts and he's like, I don't think lawyer lawyers aren't often wrong. They wouldn't want to put forward a case if they thought they were, unless they thought they were sure, you know? Right. Yes. So he calls up Mr. Fullerton to ask and sure enough, the codicil that Mrs. Mr. Fullerton has, Mrs. Lehman hadn't signed that one. It had been a different housekeeper. Okay. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So then Poirot also tells Mrs. Oliver that he has an agent in London that he's hired who's supposed to be looking into info on Olga, specifically her home country, which I think, I don't know if they list a real country name. I think they say something like Hergoslovakia. It feels like they combined a couple names together. It might be a real place. I don't know. I didn't look it up. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. I'm bad at geography. And so he's hoping, he's hoping not necessarily that they'll have found her, like that she moved back home, but that she will have sent letters to friends back home while she was living here and they might be able to find more information out that way. Right. So we're waiting on that. And so Poirot goes off and he passes by the quarry wood. So he goes in there and he finds that Mark, Michael Garfield is sketching Miranda. She's like standing by a stream and she's looking very like, nymph-like or elf-like she's kind of described before as like this you know beautiful creature almost like not human-like but very uh mythological right um she's also you know she's also around 12 so michael is saying that he's he's thinking moving away because he it's his idea of like he's done he's getting tired of the people asking him to do work in this area. Like he doesn't like the, the, the ladies who want him to do their gardens. He wants like free reign okay. and he doesn't want to forget certain things. Like he wants to remember certain beautiful things about his garden. And so that one of those is Miranda. Kind of creepy, but okay. That's yeah, a little creepy. <laughs> and Miranda, he, I think Poirot kind of asks her like, Oh, so you came here to be sketched. And she's like, no, actually I came here looking for, wishing well Michael won't tell me where it is and Michael kind of like turns to Poirot and goes I think it's more fun for a girl her age to you know have to find it herself like that's half the fun is trying to find it okay warning bells just went off someone is at the bottom of that well 100% okay (laughs) okay 
so I think Miranda goes off, and so my, my Michael and Poirot are talking a little more, and he, he I think Poirot's kind of, like, asking him, like, so, do you think, like, we're, he's trying to connect things, he's talking about, like, Olga, and, like, asking about Leslie Ferrier, and Michael goes, like, oh, yeah, I, I did, like, I saw them together, I don't know if they were, like, a, you know, an item, or a couple, or whatever, but I'd seen them together, and Poirot, I think, tells him that he thinks it's Leslie who had forged the codicil and that it, like, it was the kind of the two of them working together. Oh, wow. Okay. He doesn't think Olga would. He thinks that it would be Leslie pushing for it. Interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. So from the, from the quarry wood, he was on his way. Poirot was on his way to see Superintendent Spence. But when he gets to the house, his uh, the sister, whatever her name was... Elspeth. El- Elspeth, right. <laughs> so so um, he gets to Superintendent Spence's house and Elspeth says, oh, he's just been called down to the police station. Something's happened. Oh, no. And Poirot's like, what's happened? She doesn't know. They haven't said. Uh, and she points out that there's a letter there for him. And he kind of opens it up and finds that Olga had, like, hadn't had any family left, but had been corresponding with, like, an older woman, a friend of hers who she had saw, stopped talking to about a year and a half ago. And the older, the woman, I think in the letters, it had said that Olga had kind of like hinted that she was maybe going to get married in the future, but that the the man just was like, he was he still had to get settled before anything could happen. And so the, the friend had assumed that the reason she had stopped sending her letters was because they had gotten married. Apparently that was a typical thing to do is when these, these, um, foreign girls had found husbands they would that would be that ignore your friends found a husband okay yeah i yeah exactly sure (laughs) (laughs) what do i know so from there poirot goes back to the guest house he had been staying at and mrs drake is actually there waiting for him and she's super upset and kind of goes like oh my gosh you haven't heard yet or that like kind of idea because poirot hasn't heard Leopold has been murdered, the younger brother. The other sibling, this poor family. Oh my gosh. I know. That was my thought too. Is like this this family's lost two kids. Jeez. Wow. Okay. Leopold was murdered. Yeah. So she she's kind of come to talk to him. She feels extremely guilty. She feels really terrible. And it sums up too that she says she had lied before, that when she'd been coming down the stairs, she had seen Leopold poke his head out of the door. And then at the time, she had kind of suspect, like, was suspect, at, like, after the fact, when they had found Joyce, she had suspected that Leopold might have something to do with it, but she didn't want to say anything because he was so young. She didn't want him to, like, go to jail. It was, she said that she was, like, you know, it was this compassion, but she's now realizing that he probably just saw something he shouldn't have seen or something like that, you know? Okay. And so she should have told Poirot before. Okay. So... I think I think Poirot that evening t- hires a car to go back to London and on his way he stops at Miss Emlyn, the school headmistress house. Yeah. And he kind of goes like, I think you know who who's done this all. I think you have an opinion. And she's kind of like doesn't she's like, I I I wouldn't say that. He's like, Okay, well, I think I know who did it and I think you and I think very similarly. So I think you do know and you just don't want to say anything. And then she kind of agrees that she does have a strong opinion. And then he says, and I think we both want justice. 
So he asks her if Nick and Desmond, those two teenager boys, were trustworthy and if they could be replied, relied upon. And she says, yes, yes, they can. Okay. So I'm, that's where I've, you know, I've said, okay, Poirot knows. We've got, we have all the facts. Like this is, it's time, Nikki, you're, you're on. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> immediately, Tell me what you're thinking. immediately my thoughts are that Olga and the the lawyer Ferrier yeah. were together. Mm-hmm. And so I agree that, so he was the one that pushed to forge so that she would get all the money. And if they were together, i.e. if she hinted at getting married to him, he would also get all the money. Mm. So that's my theory there. And then mm-hmm. I think that, God, it's almost like Mrs. Drake found out that she was losing on all this inheritance. Cause again, she seems very suspicious to me, mm-hmm. but also now the gardener is suspicious to me, the Garfield character, because I mm. swear Olga has to be at the bottom of that. Well, there's, there's, it's just the Mrs. Goodbody made that whole rhyme that ended in the well. Mm-hmm. So I'm just trying to connect who benefits from this. Like who because if you kill, mm, yeah. if, if, if Olga and Ferrier were married and they were had the inheritance, both of them have, I mean, Olga's disappeared. I suspect she was killed and Ferrier was killed. He was stabbed in the back. But my mm-hmm. question is like, I don't understand out of this, like who benefits? Like Mrs. Drake, who I think is suspicious, although she is suspicious, she doesn't benefit from this. Like that she doesn't get the inheritance back by getting rid of these people. Mm. I I think she does she she does inherit. Oh, does she? Yeah, I think what once it's like one of those like I, I guess since Olga doesn't claim it, she's like the next person, maybe. Oh, okay, because she disappears before she can get it. Yeah. Okay, we're back on. Okay. <laughs> Mrs. Drake is yet again suspicious. <laughs> I'm also the fact that Leopold was murdered. I'm going back to what was mentioned earlier. There was talk of him uh, being a blackmailer and like blackmailing people. Mm-hmm. So the idea that Mrs. Drake was so spooked by the sight of him, not because of the sight of him, but because maybe he, you know, knew something that he shouldn't have known. What would he have known? Oh my gosh. There's so many intertwining stories in this. <laughs> there are a lot of characters. I'm also, like, I wish I could connect how the Garfield gardener is in on this. Because he mm-hmm. is. He absolutely is. I <laughs> can feel it. I know he is. But I'm just trying to figure out how. He's arrogant about his garden. It's the garden at the quarry house. With the well that Olga's at the bottom of. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Is it his garden or is it like the house of one of the women? So so the house after Mrs. Lulin Smith died, I think it was sold off. And so technically it's this like new couple that owns the house. And oh, wait, no. Um, Garf- Michael Garfield had, it, I think, been left the house and the garden in the will, but he had sold it. He was wow, kind, of, like, okay. kind of, I think he says at some point, he's like, why would I want, why would I want this? Like, it's not, it wasn't my garden, it was her garden. Okay, that's a weird twist. <laughs> oh, you're right. I, I, I just I didn't write it down. No, that's okay. 
But I'm also saying then, was he in on the whole forging of the will? Because if he was left the house, like, that's not insignificant. Like, that's mm-hmm. that's a pretty big chunk of change to, like, your, he sold it, yeah, but that means he got the money off of selling it. That's fair. I wish I could connect the gardener and Miss Drake so bad. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone has consistently said not to believe Joyce, but I love that this whole investigation is hinging on Joyce's words at the very beginning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like I've only got half of this. I'm happy with my my first half that Olga and Ferrier were in this together, and that mm-hmm. Ferrier was the one that forged. Like he had the second codicil, and he was mm-hmm. going to marry Olga to make sure that he got that inheritance. Mm-hmm. And then it must have been like Mrs. Drake found out or something, and then killed Ferrier. Like he was stabbed in the back. Yeah. And then Olga disappeared again. I think she's at the bottom of a well. <laughs> but <laughs> how does Michael, like, how does the gardener play into this? That's where I'm stumped. Yeah. That's how I think the story went so far. There's this whole, well, t- like, uh, teacher narrative as well. My God. There is a lot going on. Do you want to, do you want to hear the solution? Yes, I would love to. So I will say it's kind of a drawn out solution. So if at any point you're like, you, something clicks for you, you cut me off tell me okay cool cool so so we jump to like poro's gone about back to london and there's like this you know little scene in the grocery store in town where i think two women one of them being elspeth are talking and i think someone's telling elspeth oh have you heard about what's going on in the quarry wood there's like some forestry people there that some of the trees on that on the ledge on the on the slope they think are rotten so they've gone to like take them down yeah, they have, like, police officers there and stuff, making sure no one comes near. And Elspeth goes, like, yeah, I see. And then we jump to Judith Butler's house, where Mrs. Ariadne Oliver is still staying. And she gets a telegram from Poirot that says, bring Judith and Miranda to your place at once. The The surgery's all ready, or something like that. And so she, she kind of shows this to Judith and says, so we gotta go. And Judith goes, what surgery? And Miss Oliver is like, oh, you know, that's just just the the cover story. Like, that doesn't mean anything, but we've got to go. Of course, Judith doesn't want to at all. She's like, what do you mean? Like, I, I have things to do. Like, I don't, I don't need to go to London. Right. But I think Mrs. Oliver kind of convinces her. Like, Mrs. Oliver also doesn't really know, but convinces her of the gravity of the situation. And so they call down Miranda and she goes oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I'd love to go to a ballet in London, but I just, like, I need to go tell my friends that I'm leaving. So she runs out the back door. Oh, no, okay. And uh, they, you know, they start packing up and they're talking about what's going on. And Miranda comes back in and kind of goes, but it's lunchtime, like, aren't we going to eat? I think Judah says, oh, we'll stop at the, the black dog on the way. It's 45 minutes from here. It's perfect. And so they keep packing and Miranda says she has to call uh, I think Penelope or someone who she had been planning to go to the, the films with to say, I can't come anymore. She goes and does that and then they head out. Meanwhile, in London, Hercule Poirot has had like a conference with a couple of important people and he's trying to convince them to his theory of what has happened. And we don't get much of what he said, but he's kind of gone. So that's what I'm thinking. But we'll know for sure when the forestry people are done. Oh, okay. Um, that are in the quarry in the quarry wood, and so they they kind of leave it at that. I think 
And the other thing they say is that they've been, Poirot's been in touch with a well-known firm of estate agents. They specialize in sunshine for their clients in the, the Mediterranean, etc. And there's been a recent purchase that might interest this, this group that he's assembled. Uh, and it's just the idea that money can find a way. And then he says that he's bringing an eyewitness to, to London and that hopefully they make it. No problem. Okay, interesting. So it's all very, like, that That chapter's all very, yeah, like, c- kind of confusing what's going on, but clearly set up for what, what's going to happen. So Mrs. Oliver and gang arrive at the the restaurant for lunch, and they think they've ordered, but they're kind of going, Miranda's taking a long time in the bathroom, and so Judith, her mother, goes to check on her, and she gets back and says, Miranda's not in the ladies' room. Like, she's not there. There's yeah. a side door that leaves outside. Maybe she's gone out of the garden. Which is a weird... Okay. So, while that's happening, uh, Elspeth, the sister, is at home eating lunch. And she gets a call uh, for her brother. And she says, sorry, my brother's in London. And the police sergeant... The police sergeant tells tells her, can you get him to call me back when he's when he's home? And... Elspeth says to him, you mean you found a body in the well? And he says, you're right, I guess word's gotten around town. It's the au pair girl. Did I call it or did I call it? I knew she was (laughs) in the well. Thank God. So then they ask, was it suicide? And he goes, definitely not. She was stabbed with a knife. Wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now that that we have some more, do you want to, is there anything else you want to add or kind of think about? Or should we keep going? We should keep going, because honestly, this is just confirmed, and this hasn't given me enough information to get the second half of what I don't know. Okay, okay, okay. So so now we go to Miranda's point of view, and she's, after she had left, uh, so after she kind of snuck out of the back door and run out onto the street and climbed into a car where it says a man with beetling gray eyebrows and a gray beard was sitting in the, the driver's seat reading a newspaper. So she had laughed and said they looked funny and that they were going to this this place nearby called Kilterbury Down where there was a sightseeing landmark type thing. And she's kind of going, won't like, won't mother worry about me? And he goes, oh, no, like once you're like, you'll be back before she soon has time to worry about you. What? This is insane. OK. And meanwhile, while all of that is happening... This, you know, it's all it's all at the same time. Hercule Poirot picks up the phone. It's Miss Oliver going, we've lost Miranda. And he gets so mad at her. And he goes, you, you, what do you mean? You didn't stay with her at any moment? I told you there was danger. Aren't you, like, aren't you worried? And she kind of goes, but why should Miranda be in danger? And he tells her, don't you know already? You ought to know. And by the way, they found the body in the well. Right. And Twitch well- Miss Oliver is like, what body? She's not on the same page. Oh, God. <laughs> so then we we go back to Miranda, and they're at the top of the Kilterbury Hill or Kilterbury Ring or whatever it's called. And this, this man is kind of showing around, and Miranda's asking questions, and they're talking about ritual and ritual sacrifice. And he's oh, my God. Kind of saying, you understand what, what is sacrifice. And she, she says she does. It's the importance of it. And he's kind of describing to her, it's, it's that you die so that others should live. You die so that beauty should live. Okay, this is terrifying. And she she kind of says that she understands, like, she she had done something wrong because 
Joyce had died because of her, because if she hadn't told her about about that thing, then Joyce wouldn't have died. Okay. Okay, wait. So Joyce is famous for taking other people's story and making their own, right? So Mm -hmm. if this is really Miranda's story, that Miranda was really the one that saw the murder, but that Mm -hmm. she's guilty now because she told it to Joyce and Joyce opened her mouth and that's what got Joyce killed. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Okay. That's my theory for that. (laughs) The man kind of says, "Okay, the sto- the sun is perfectly on the stone now. Um, we'll drink, we'll drink to beauty." And he gives her like a golden goblet and pours out of a flask something that he sell- says will taste like peaches. And he tells Miranda to drink, and she goes to put it to her lips. When at the last second, these two boys that had been hiding behind some bushes jump out, and one of them puts a the uh, starts struggling with the man, and the other pulls Miranda away and goes. what are you doing you like you ridiculous girl and she goes well like it was you know it was a sacrifice and he goes being ridiculous and she's like well you know I deserved it for because of Joyce and something something else along those lines and and the boy goes the the man like you you got into the car with the man who like did this and you're okay with it like how ridiculous are you right it is pretty insane I can't yeah so later that day, Hercule Poirot, Mrs. Oliver, Judith Butler, Miranda, and then the two boys, Desmond and Nick, are all in the conference room with those men that Poirot had assembled earlier in the day. Right. And they're, they want the full story, what's happened. And so they sit down, Miranda, to kind of ask her some questions. And she confirms that two years ago, she had seen a man and a woman carrying a body through the quarry woods. And at the time, she thought that they were bringing, maybe bringing her to a hospital or something because she was hurt. She'd seen blood on like a scarf. And she had, I think the woman had said something like, I feel like someone's watching us and had looked at the tree that Miranda had been perched in. But Miranda had been super still and it, it kind of worried her a little bit. Right. But when in the coming days, I think nothing had been, you know, it, she had kind of forgotten about it. And then... A few months ago, around she says around Easter, she had seen the same man and woman sitting in the garden talking about go their plans, like making plans to go away to Greece, like they were going to buy a plot of land. Oh my and... God, it's Mrs. Drake and the gardener. Okay, okay. <laughs> and she, had, the woman had said the same thing. I feel like someone's watching me or someone's watching us while Miranda was like, you know, in some bushes. <laughs> and her saying those same words again had made her realize that what she had seen had actually been a murder because she w- she had never heard about an accident after the fact and so it, it wasn't someone hadn't gotten help they had, right it had been like a dead body and so she had told she had kind of said that Joyce always had these like extravagant stories about like you know going to India and elephants and tigers and she had wanted to have a story of her own so she had talked about she had told Joyce that she had seen a murder and so when I think they ask her, well, who who were the man and the woman? And she goes, Michael and Mrs. Drake, which okay, inkling about. Hey, <laughs> so you called Miss Drake from the beginning. I knew she was suspicious. <laughs> <laughs> so, so then the, we kind of get some more explanation on everything, and the idea was that 
Michael and Mrs. Drake had been having an affair before Mr. Drake had even died. And they think, they don't know, but they think that Mrs. Lulin Smith had like caught in wind of this. And that's why she had cut them out of the will or cut Mrs. Drake out of the will. um, Because Mr. Drake had died, right? She didn't want the trifling woman to get her money. Yeah. And so she had left it to Olga. And then the other thing that Paro says is that the only person they'd heard from that Ferrier and Olga were together was Michael, the gardener. And so he thinks that, of course, that was never a thing, that it, it was, in fact, Olga thought that herself and Michael would get married, that Michael oh. was leading her on. And so Olga would have told Michael about this new codicil to the will. And so Michael had created this story to Poro to make it seem like they were, Ferry and Olga were together, when in fact that was not the case. But you kind of touched on it. It's likely that Michael paid Ferrier to forge a new codicil that they could use to be this like, quote unquote, forged codicil. But it was not Olga. Gotcha. So exactly what you were saying about how, yeah, who gains by this. The the codicil was right. Olga was not lying. She had not forged anything. So she had she needed to be gotten out of the way because it, it, it was a lie. They had forged this will. Right. So, and then kind of what you were saying with Leopold, he likely tried to bribe Mrs. Drake. Who knows how he knew anything? They're kind of just saying he was just a, like one of those, like, I guess like a really smart kid. And he, he just, he had a good intuition probably. And so when he had started trying to blackmail them, they had had to get rid of him as well even though he probably knew nothing because Joyce really didn't know anything either. She didn't know Miranda had never told Joyce who the people were. Right. So Joyce didn't know. So Leopold probably didn't know. Yeah. It's probably just enough of like a hint to make these people nervous. kind of. Yeah. Thing. And so the reason that Mrs. Drake had dropped that vase on purpose was because she needed to look wet because bobbing for apples would have gotten her soaked. Drowning. Oh Joyce. man, of course. Yeah, so she had needed to somehow make it make get herself all wet to have an excuse. And so she had waited for Miss Whitaker, the teacher, to come out into the hall so that she'd have a witness for why she was why she was soaking. Clever. Yeah. Okay, so way more crazy things. Uh they think that Michael was probably never in love with Mrs. Drake. He just was like looking for money because right. he wanted to create his own garden. Like this the garden at Quarry Wood wasn't his. He had like had to, you know, it was it's kind of by instruction to a certain degree. Right. Whereas if he knew someone with money who could buy a Greek island, he could make his own garden. And Poirot suspects that Mrs. Drake would have died in an unfortunate accident on the Greek island. This is a lot of uh, lengths to go to, to have your own garden. Dude, like just, jeez. Yeah. yeah. And then here's, here's the next mind-boggling thing, Nikki. Uh, Poirot asks Judith later, he goes, so you're, you're Miranda's real mother, correct? And she goes, yes. And he goes, was Michael Miranda's real father? And she goes, yes. I never told him about the child, but I think he, he started to guess it himself. Oh my God. Scandal. Yeah. So he was, he was down to kill his own kid for beauty is in his words. Wild. Yeah, so that sketch that he had done at her of her at the top of the page, I don't know very like Greek mythology, but he had written the name of a of a father who had killed in in mythology who had killed his own daughter in order to get 
wind for their sail, but their, their boats to travel the ocean or something of that kind. Right. That sounds very Greek mythology. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> wow. So yeah, that's how all the stories tie together really crazily. Yeah, honestly, I'm pretty proud of myself. I feel like I got more than I did the last time. Oh, 100%. You feel good. Thank you. Thank you. I think you were, yeah, you were, you were in the right location, just not, you know, 100%, which is very tough to do. Yeah, it's always hard when, who, which witness to trust and which witness yes. not to trust. That's, that's yeah. always the piece. Mm-hmm. So great job, Nikki. <laughs> cool. Yeah, that was awesome. Thanks, Caitlin. Happy Halloween to everyone uh, that's coming up later this week. A couple of things if you'd like to see p- beautiful pictures. There's a great one that's going to come out today uh, that I have taken in advance, so I know it's coming. And <laughs> on Instagram, <laughs> you can follow me at Tuesday Night Mystery Club. And then I have started a Patreon. So if you really enjoy these episodes and you want to join the community and support me in creating more podcast episodes... You can, I guess, subscribe to my Patreon. Is that the right word? I, I don't know. Become a patron? <laughs> I don't know. Become a patron. Yeah, that sounds right. You can become a patron at patreon.com slash Tuesday Night Mystery Club or click the link in the description of this podcast. Thank you to my current patrons, Michael Borello, Barb McLean, and Debbie Kravis. Anything else, Nikki? No, that's pretty good. I think you summed it up. Great. Well, everyone, go and enjoy lots of candy. And I will see you. No, I won't. I'll talk to you. I don't know. See you next week. (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye.